The book of Psalms, chapter eight. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come now and ask for you to meet us. Lord, would you please speak and give us hearts that are open and give us ears to hear. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Seniors, you made it. Congratulations. Well, kind of. You have about a month left. And I want to tell you, something's going to change when you get to college. And I wish I'd given more thought to this before I got there. This is it. You're going to have to pay for your courses. So be careful, because you also are going to have the right to choose what it is that you take, especially electives. Floral design. That's right. What you see to my left, to my right, my sophomore year in college, somehow I got in. It was in high demand, and I had heard that it was full of senior girls and athletes, and I knew those were both the type of people that I wanted to meet, and so I signed up for floral design. Now, what you don't know is the class I really wanted to take was Astronomy 101, for similar reasons, but it was full, because Astronomy 101 involved a whole lot of stargazing. There was a night lab that accompanied the class room time that happened on a weekly basis, and it was pretty much sitting under the stars and staring and learning their names, the constellations, sitting underneath the glory of the skies. The fortunate few who got in talked about how fun it was, and I even had a roommate who found his girlfriend while he was in that astronomy class, but I was left out. There's nothing more fascinating than the vastness, the beauty, and the mystery of the starry heavens. We escaped the city to see them. We grab picnic blankets and lay them down on the ground and lay on our backs and stare up at them. We'll get telescopes to try and give ourselves a a front row view of them. And when we lay there and we look up at the stars, we're certain to have two emotions rise up within us. Wonder and weakness. So many of them, and there's only one of me. Each one so bright, so large, so magnificent, and yet I am just a common man. It's difficult to lie under the stars without sensing the magnitude and glory of something far greater than yourself. It's why some religions deify them. It's why Van Gogh painted them. 
It's why people like Blake and Frost poeticized about them. And that famous hymn writer, Don Swander, everybody know who he is? Sang about them in that famous chorus, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas, that's right. There's other smaller composers that sing about them each night as they go to bed. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Wonder and weakness. Martin Luther observed them throughout God's story. He said... He sees the gospel and the stars shown to Abraham in Genesis 15, shown to Isaac just a little later in Genesis 26, shown to the people of God in Deuteronomy 10 to remind them that God is faithful, shown to Job as he questioned God in Job 38, shown to the wise men in Matthew 2, and given to us as a reminder of God's promise in Hebrews 11. Luther said, God writes the gospel not in the Bible alone, but also in the trees, in the flowers, and in the stars. The starry heavens, it's a window into the glory of God and a window into the frailty of you and me. It's difficult to lie underneath them without seeing both. And interesting enough, it's the setting of this psalm. Did you hear it in the song or the reading? David's song says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would visit him, that you would care for him? So as David writes this song, he's stargazing. And as he's stargazing, he is considering the bigness, the glory, the fullness, the grandeur, the awesomeness of God and also the smallness, the normalcy, the commonness of man, from wonder to weakness. It's the appropriate rhythm of the Christian life. From wonder to weakness. And so we'll see in David's song quickly that he's whispering three points in his song sermon about the starry night. He says these three things. God is so big. We are so small, and we are so significant. Let's quickly look at this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now, the first stanza of David's song is telling us something about the bigness of God. He says God's name is known throughout the earth. It's unlike any other name. His name is above every name. It is timeless in its worldwide fame. God's glory exceeds the glory of man and all creation. It's above and beyond anything that you have ever seen. And His power, God's strength is so strong that He can use the command of the weakest and still win. There's none like him. 
There's no name, there's no king, there's no strength, there's no God, there's no man. His glory cannot be counted, it cannot be contained, and it cannot really be comprehended. You can know God truly, but you will never know Him fully. His glory is mind-boggling. And even the accurate thoughts that we have of His majesty and His magnificence, they're just not high enough, are they? His majesty and glory requires wonder. It leads us to worship. It demands it of us. And He will have it because He is so big. There's none like the Lord our God. From cover to cover, men and women of old declared and sang this over and over again. You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And there is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. O Lord, you are God. Let not man prevail against you. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you? O King of the nations, for this is your due. Among all the wise ones of the nations and all the kingdoms of earth, there is none like you. Remember this. Stand firm. Recall it to mind, you sinners. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. There's none like him. And if they don't sing it out, the stars will. God is so big. When did you last wonder at the majesty and the glory of God? When was your heart last moved, maybe even your breath taken away by His greatness? Or maybe when did you last try to describe it to someone else? It's a difficult task, isn't it? It's my favorite thing to discuss and the hardest thing to explain. But creation helps us. Students, have you ever tried to count the number of leaves on a single tree? Don't. It's a frustrating and even impossible task to try to count the fullness of a tree. Or maybe the stars. Have you ever laid back on that picnic blanket and looked up and tried to count the stars in the sky? Don't. It's a frustrating task. You can't possibly number. You can't possibly comprehend the fullness of the night sky. Or maybe sand. It wasn't long ago I was building a sand castle with my three-year-old daughter. Just a handful of sand. Have you ever considered, tried, endured the frustration of trying to estimate the number of individual granules that sit in your hand? You will only take up something like that if you've been building sandcastles for about 45 minutes to three hours. It's an impossible task. At some point, you have to bend the knee and simply surrender and say, I cannot grasp 
the fullness of a tree. I cannot grasp the fullness of the night sky. I cannot even grasp the fullness of a handful of sand. So why do we despise the thought that we cannot grasp the fullness of the glory of God? He's so big. Many give up on God because of this incomprehensibility issue. Many walk away from their faith because their enlightened minds refuse to wonder. To them, to wonder is weak. It cannot be real and it cannot be enjoyed if it cannot be fully comprehended. But I want to tell you that is a foolish way of thinking. Would you stop going to the beach because of your frustration with a handful of sand? Would you refuse to gaze at the stars simply because you cannot contain their glory? Of course not. You will rearrange your life and your schedule to enjoy the thing, the majesty of the thing that you cannot figure out. Let it be so with the glory of God. His majesty is above the heavens. His name timeless in fame throughout the earth. You can know God truly, but never will you know Him fully. And when you sense a gap between what you can and cannot understand, wonder and worship. I promise you one thing. You're going to feel small. And that's where David's second stanza takes us. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? That you would be mindful of, that you would remember him. And the son of man, that you would, you would care for him. What is man? We have a tendency to think too much of ourselves. Now, I'm not speaking about thinking too highly of ourselves, and I'm not speaking about thinking too lowly of ourselves. I mean thinking of ourselves too much. The man who thinks too many large thoughts about himself we call prideful or arrogant or at its worst, narcissistic. And the man who thinks too many small thoughts about himself we think suffers from a bad case of low self-esteem. But they both really suffer from the same problem. It's self-centeredness. They are both thinking about themselves far too much. But if we were just to spend long enough in the presence of the brightness of the sky, maybe then we would be more self-forgetful. And even better, if we could look through the starry heavens to the glory of God and present ourselves before it, maybe we would be self-forgetful and God-centered. And that where, that's where David ends up. That's where he is. His smallness amidst a greater glory. And we desperately need to lift our eyes off of ourselves and onto something far more glorious. We spend far too much time doing this. Navel-gazing. We need to spend much more time stargazing. And David's trying to help us out because God is so big and we are so small. Do you feel small? Do you really feel small? Well, if not, consider for a moment your smallness. Let's navel gaze for a moment. Your life. You're one in seven billion people on this earth. Seven billion. 
It's the most obvious lesson from the stars. There are billions of them in the sky. And yet each individual one will eventually burn out, fade away, be forgotten. From dust we came, from dust we will, to dust we will return. What about your power? Let's speak physiologically. Do you know that there's a three to four inch brainstem, and it sustains the most basic vital functions of your life, and you have absolutely no control over it? You're alive and functioning because of something inside your body that is outside of your power. Like a laptop, we have to be plugged in to exist. You need a power source. You're not even the source of your own power. Or what about your name? We strive so hard to make a name for ourselves, but our names will soon be forgotten unless it's passed on to a junior or a third or a fourth. I don't know many fifths or sixths or sevenths or eighths, but by then it will be their name more than your own. And even still, in just one or two more generations, that name will even be forgotten. And even if your name is remembered for a while, it'll only be brought up in brief conversations or at best etched on a stone or placed on the side of a building if you're really lucky. Friends, one of the kindest things God can do for us is to put us in our place. Not that we would see ourselves too highly, not that we would see ourselves too lowly, but that we would see ourselves rightly to come alongside his greatness and to create sincere humility that removes self-exaltation, that removes self-loathing, and leads us to self-forgetfulness, which is the basis for true worship. When you can look at the stars and say, what is man? That majesty is the majesty, not this majesty. Is God putting you in your place? If so, your greatest days might be ahead of you. It's okay that we are all small because of the last stanza of this song. It's the final one. And it says this, you may be small, but you are so significant. Look at it with me. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. David's song is finishing in this wonderful crescendo. Something magnificent is being said about that small man. In its kingly language, look at it. You were made a little lower than the heavenly beings. David's saying, look up. Look up. Do you see the heavens? Do you see the stars? Even possibly the heavenly beings that exist above them. You are slightly lower than them in beauty and value. You're the champion of creation. You are the utmost in matters of significance. You were meant to be just under God, but above everything else. You were meant to be like a king. You are crowned with glory and honor. 
No one wears a crown but the king and the prince who is the likeness of the king himself. And all title, all land, all rights, all power, all glory, all honor that belongs to the king are passed on to the prince. So also God has crowned man. He is supremely significant like a king. He says, you are given dominion over the works of his hands. He has put all things under your feet. Who else would have dominion and rule like this but a king? Man is to be the extension of God's sovereignty. Man was meant to extend God's rule over all creation in his work, in his classes, in his home, in his neighborhood, in his cities, in the world. God has made man to have dominion like a king. But that's not it. David's also using creation language. Can you see it? He's echoing back to man's beginning. Genesis 1 says this, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Man is more than the champion of creation. Man is made in the very image, the very likeness of God. And this is a kingly term and a kingly role. Now, this would not have been unfamiliar in the ancient Near East. They believed that the king was seen as a living image of the gods and that his job was to learn what the gods wanted, what the gods wished, and to make it happen through his power in their land on the earth. He was a mini-king, a vice-regent, a royal ambassador, not just representing the wishes of the king to another nation, but actually being, implementing the rule and the reign of the king in the land. Now what's interesting is that Genesis 1 says nothing about an actual king. It says something strange. It says man is made in the image of God. It says man is to have dominion over all creation. It says that God wishes to rule and reign through you and through me. Now, let's pause. Because this could really change your life. And I'm serious about that. This could really change your life. You were made to be a mini-king. A vice-regent. A royal ambassador. That the glory of God would not just be something out there, but something in you. And that you would carry it around, not passively, but actively, extending His powerful right arm throughout your neighborhood, in your work, to your city, all over your world. You don't have to live for your smallness. You can live for His greatness. That's what you were made for. The glory of God in you, in me. Not just to represent His rule, but to implement it in all creation. And that would mean that you fight for justice because He is just. It would mean that you extend undeserved favor to others because He is gracious. 
It would mean that you offer your heart to others in sincere relationship because He is love. It would mean that you take care of creation because He is the Creator God. You literally make the invisible God visible. That's your job description. You incarnate the glory of God. You are His image bearer. You're so significant. But many of us don't believe this, do we? Some of us have lost our wonder. And some of us are trapped by our smallness. We can't make it to this third stanza because we haven't made it from wonder to weakness. The glory of God has diminished or even faded in our lives. It's not something that can be visibly seen. I have good news for you this morning. There's another who came from wonder to weakness. He came to restore to us the glory that's faded. Scripture calls him the bright morning star, and like a shooting star, he went from the heavens to the earth, the Son of God becoming the Son of Man. The Prince of Heaven becomes a servant of earth, born in a stable to a carpenter in a town of no reputation, so small, perfectly imaging the glory of the Father. He traded a crown of honor for a crown of thorns. He traded royalty for rejection. He traded his throne for a cross. Is my cross? Is your cross? Hebrews says, We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, the heavenly beings, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And Paul said this, for those whom God foreknew unto salvation, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of this Son. Jesus Christ, the morning star, was doing more than rescuing us from the pit of hell. He was doing more than just trying to relieve our indebtedness to God. He was restoring the stolen glory that we were created in and meant to live for. Does your life feel like it lacks purpose and power? You're living for the wrong glory. Do you feel apathetic? Do you feel lazy? Wake up. God intends for you to be filled with His glory. And it can only be yours through the work of that morning star. So look up when you've lost your wonder. And look up if you feel small. Students, do you feel small? We'll stop it. There is a glory in each of you that's waiting to be unleashed. 
You might believe that God wouldn't want to use you for His kingdom until you're 22 or 23 years old and that the next four years of your life are supposed to be filled with a bunch of navel-gazing. Get off of your belly buttons and lift your eyes to the skies. You remember the fiery furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, three names that you will never use for your children. They were teenagers. And in the face of the greatest king of the day, instead of bowing their knee, they stood up for the glory of God and said, we will not bow. Stand. Lift your eyes. The last page of your Bible And Jesus' final sign-off says that He is the root and the descendant of the man who wrote this psalm. And that He is the bright morning star. So lift your eyes up and gaze to Him. He is so big. You are so small. And you are so significant. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Amen.